Aren't you glad that Jesus chose to be our friend? Amen. What greater love than this, than a friend laid down his life for his brothers, right? For, his, for people, for us, for that someone care enough about us to be, to be a friend. How many of y'all received one of these handy-dandy bookmarks? Man, that dude made some money. How many of you bought it for a penny? I did too. I bought it for a penny. Then, the, then my, 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 my guy, if you don't have a handy bookmark like this, you need to look up Hank Nicole at hanknicoleministries.com. And Hank started making bookmarks, and that, that's cool. I mean, it, it works. It works. And uh, he, he, charged me a, he charged me a penny for it, then he brought it to church, and he said, it's two pennies, Brother Joey. I said, two pennies? He said, yep. And if you've ever looked Hank in the eye, you can't, I mean, you'd want to give him $2. You don't want to give him two pennies. And I said, so what's the extra penny for? Is that shipping and handling? He said, yep. <laughs> I'm just telling you, he's an entrepreneur on his way to big and big, big things. So get you a, get you a bookmark. Hey, it's good to be with you all today. We're going to be in the book of James again, and uh, we're going to start reading in chapter 1, verse 19. It's so good to see all of you here. Uh, those of you that uh, spoke with us uh, not too long ago, or were with us not too long ago, back during the summer, everybody's running around, going here and there, and vacationing, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we, were, we were talking about having enough room in the church. Now, I just if you're up close here, just turn around and look. You'll see that there's no room in the church. It's full. So, we have, yeah, that's a good thing. It's a great thing. Uh, so what, we're, what, what we needed to do is just remember this rule, up and out, up and out, all right? Up, up, and out. Up and out. Move down. Open some chairs up when people walk in and help them out. Because uh, you don't want to be the very first pers- first timer coming in here and have to come up here in spitting range. If you're in spitting range up here, I mean, the people that know me a long time, Miss Patty don't mind, you know, getting spit on. She she loves me. And uh, I see Justin started moving back, though. He he started getting away. But uh, it's a good thing. And uh, being here and being able to see all of you come, is, that's a great thing. It's a great thing. But let me tell you this. Uh, don't don't think that this is all there is to your Christian walk, just coming here on Sunday. This is just part of it. It's only part of it. It's a good time. It's a good place to come and stop at the gas station, so to speak, and get your tank filled up so that you can be out there in the world uh, through the week and in the marketplace and do the things that you need to do. Uh, just let this be part, like a supplement to your Christian walk with Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. So also people that are out there watching on the internet, uh, there's a lot of folks being ministered to today. So we thank God for that. We have been in a series of messages called, uh, in the book of James, that we've titled Faith That Works. Faith That Works. And uh, if you haven't, if this is your first time coming here, all those messages are out there on our website and on Facebook and all that. And uh, you, can get, you can get to the website, nlcb.church, and it's right there. You can check it all out. But today we're going to be into our fifth message, uh, and we've titled this message, Listen More, Talk Less, and Chill Out. Listen More, Talk Less, and Chill Out. Uh, this message is going to touch every one of us. I don't care who you are, where you are, how old you are, how young you are, what stage of life you're in. It doesn't matter. This message is going to hit every one of us right between the eyes because we are breathing this morning. It's, we're breathing, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be right there with every one of us. Some years ago, there was a, uh, he's a, this is a preacher uh, guy who's also a, an author, but his name is Bob Moorhead. He wrote an essay called The Paradox of Our Time. This man, uh, no, I don't, I don't think this guy was a pastor, it was somebody else, but he was just a writer, a real good writer. And they, this is just a brief excerpt from uh, what he wrote in the, in the article called The Paradox of Our Time. We've learned how to make a living 
but we have not learned how to make a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not our inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. Every part of that little excerpt there, to me, seems very true, but I was especially drawn to the sentence that says, we've conquered outer space, but not our inner space. Not our inner space. Every part of that statement seems to be very true. Now, I want you to think of this. Everything we build is bigger, stronger, faster, larger. We've come a long way in a very short time. The engine of human progress seems to be humming right along, and we send men to the moon, satellites into orbit, radio waves all the way to the stars, but inner peace is another matter all to itself. Inner peace. We've not even come close to conquering that. The human heart seems very unruly and as unruly as ever. If we're honest with ourselves, the biggest problem that we have and the greatest battle that we will ever fight happens within us on a daily basis. That is the battle that is the, the worst. It is the strongest and it is the hardest to win. Our greatest struggle and our biggest challenge is conquering the man in the mirror. That's why we're going to read in James 1, verse 19 this morning through the end of the chapter, and we're going to just see what James has to tell us today. So if you would, uh, read along with us. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceives themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep, one, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James has some very good words here for us this morning. Excuse me. It's hard to talk as fast as I talk when there's a piece of gum in my cheek. I just didn't want that really to come out spitting on the front row. So this has been our theme through the last several weeks, okay? We've been talking about trials and what trials mean in our life how we handle trials and how they affect us. How do we get through them? What do they produce in us? And how and why should we still love God through trials? One thing that trials do for us is that they can make us very angry. Amen. Whenever we have a trial in life, 
something that's hard, something that's complicated, something that's difficult, we can become very angry with this. And I think Brother James is spot on with his layout of his words here. He's talking about trials, and he knows from experience that trials can bring about an angry attitude, and so he addresses it right here. We can become angry at ourselves, but most of the time we find it a little more interesting if we can become mad or angry at someone else. It's not too fun being mad at ourselves, but when we can throw the pile over on someone else, it becomes a little more interesting. Think of the last time that you were angry, and I want you to just be honest, serious with yourself, quit beating around the bush, and don't look at your spouse and say, yeah, that was your fault. Don't do none of that stuff. I want you to be honest with yourself. Think about the last time you were angry. How did you respond to the people around you? How did you respond to those around you? Did you say something that you shouldn't have said? Did you hurt your witness when you said what you shouldn't have said? Sometimes we can really hurt our witness whenever with other people because of our anger or the way we handle a certain situation. There was a lady once who came up to Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday uh, was a well-known evangelist back in the early 1900s, a ball player in the late 1800s. And this is what the woman said. Billy Sunday, sir, there is nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up and then it's all over. And Brother Sunday replied this, so does a shotgun and look at the damage it leaves behind. So there's nothing wrong with you being angry and mad. There's nothing wrong with you spewing verbal diarrhea out at the people who are closest to you. There's nothing wrong with that. But Billy Sunday says, just take a look at the shotgun and look at the damage it leaves behind. Sometimes getting angry can be like getting into a super fast sports car, pushing the gas pedal, gunning the engine, going 100,000 miles an hour down the road, and then all of a sudden realizing your brakes don't work. That's what happens with our tongue. It gets out of control. We punch the gas, rev the engine, and then find out that the brakes cannot slow us down. Anger is an emotion that is expressed when we feel opposition. It's something that is implanted in all of us, and it's an expression that, we'll, that we will all express at some point or another in our life. There was one Christian doctor that said this, the person who cannot feel anger for evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm for good. If you can't be angry towards the evil that is in this world, there's no enthusiasm in you in the first place for what is good in this world. He continued, and I quote, If you cannot hate wrong, it is questionable that you can love righteousness. To not express anger is not to be human. We will express anger in different levels of our life. So basically, what I want to tell you is that the answer to, is not to, is, it's not to repress or, or to shove your anger down in a box and put tape on it and hold it down, but to express it responsibly. And when you express your anger responsibly, you will have a righteous indignation towards bad things in this world, and you will want to respond towards those things in a biblical or in a Christ-like manner. The Bible tells us that God gets angry. Think about Jesus whenever He was turning tables over in the temple. When He said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. He, he braids a whip together, and he, and he goes into the temple throwing tables over, throwing the money changers out, and, and running people out of there. He said, get out of here. Do you think Jesus was doing it just saying, hey, guys, I just wish you would just uh, not do this here? No, that's not what He did. He started doing everything except sinning 
and he ran them out of that temple there. When he called the Pharisees, think about it. When Jesus looked at these Pharisees and he said, you bunch of whitewashed tombs and you pit of vipers, he wasn't trying to be politically correct. He was angry. What was he angry at? He was angry at the hypocrites that he was talking to. These hypocritical people who were demanding one thing of the people that came to the temple to worship, and yet they did something totally different. He was mad at that, and he had a right to be angry with that. And we should be angry at that today. Whenever there are religious leaders who want to stand up and they want to say things to you that they are claiming to be biblical, but they're living a life outside of that that doesn't line up with what the Word of God says in the first place. We should be angry with that. And the church should rise up and throw such people off of the stage and let them quit teaching. That's righteous indignation. That's not something that's going to send somebody to hell. You have to do it right. And you have to do it in a way that is biblical. They said one thing, and they demanded certain religious practices from other people. I want you to think about Moses. In Psalms 106, 32, 33, this is the psalmist remembering Moses. He said, by the waters of Meribah, they angered, they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. They rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. This is talking about the time that Moses hit a home run with his staff against a rock. He got mad in Numbers chapter 20. The man was angry, but who can blame him? Who can blame him? Leading the people of Israel was about like trying to herd a bunch of cats. It wasn't working out very well. And this man had come down to his last nerve. But the problem with Moses wasn't that he got angry. It was that he allowed his anger to control him, and he retaliated against the command of God in a way that God did not approve of. The loss of his temper... Is the situation in this situation caused him uh, to never be able to cross over into the across the Jordan and go over into the promised land. We know that Moses doing what he did was a direct disobedience or a direct contrary action towards what God told him to do. God said, Moses, touch the stone and water will come out of it. But Moses was angry. Moses and Aaron got mad. And they said, Shall we? Bring water from this rock. First of all, Moses, you're not God. And Moses, you're not the one bringing water from this rock. His anger swelled up inside of him, and he hit the rock, and he said things that were not right. And he ended up being punished for that. Now, James says this, that we should listen more. In verse number 19, everything that we have said up to this point about anger is true. We have all experienced this at some point in our life and at some level. But James starts talking about how to handle your anger and how to handle this in a way that is right. He said, you need to be quick to listen. Now, you know, whenever somebody is making me mad, it doesn't take me very long to listen to them to become angry. I don't have to listen long. I don't have to listen for a long period of time. I don't have to sit there and say, I wonder what this person's trying to say. I've done made my mind up what they're trying to say. They're trying to say anything that they can that's going to make me mad. And they've already done it. Just opening their mouth, just breathing. When there are the people that you know have already made you mad, just their existence has something to do with your anger. I'm just being honest. That's just the truth. So James, he isn't telling us to listen to them so that we can become more angry. That's not it. James is telling us that we we are supposed to have an ear what the Spirit of God is trying to tell us. 
He said, be quick to listen, my brothers and sisters. Be quick to listen. We have a complicated time with this today, being able to hear what the Lord wants to say to us. We have a very hard time with this today. We live in an era where there's more information and technology than ever before. The Word of God is at our fingertips on every iPad and phone and any kind of device that we can think of. It's all right there, but we seem to miss it because we are bombarded with all the information. That's why I tell you guys, and I'm not, a, I'm not against technology. I mean, I'm up here, my notes are on an iPad this morning. I mean, I'm not against technology. I love uh, my Bible apps. I love to be able to go in there. But that's why I try to encourage you to have a printed copy of the Word of God so that you can sit down from time to time. I'm not saying to not use your apps and your commentaries and things like that to help you study the Word further and deeper, but so that you can open the Word and read it. And instead of having all the information popping up in front of you and distracting you away from what it's saying, to listen to what the Lord is trying to tell you and what He's trying to show you. Printed copies of the Word of God, they're irreplaceable. They're irreplaceable. You cannot replace them. That's why I encourage you to do that. So when we have all this information happening, guys, we have a harder time of hearing what the Holy Spirit wants to say. Did you know that there are over 100 billion emails sent out every day? That is 10 times the world's population. 10 times the population of the entire world. And all those emails are going out there. So let's ask this question. If James is telling us that listening is the first step to resisting the wrong approach towards anger, and studies that, that you can go online and look them up and you can read them, studies are showing us, even by Forbes, Forbes even did a study that said that our world today is more angry than it has ever been in its existence of humanity. So if, if anger in all, in, within all of us is growing and James is saying that listening is part of how we handle it in the right way. And we're getting more angry by the minute. What are we listening to? If listening is something that's supposed to calm us down, but we're not getting calm, what are we listening to? You see, guys, we listen to people that we surround ourselves with. We're influenced by what's going on at our home. We're influenced by what's happening at the job, a lot of stress. We're influenced by what's happening at, uh, at, at uh, our schools or whatever university we may be into. We're listening to negative news all the time, even, and I know some of y'all, even if it's coming off of Fox, you're listening to negative news that drives you crazy. Brother John, say it again. So we're listening to all this. And it's telling us that our world is getting worse politically and that our nation is just going down the drain. Is that good? Boy, that's encouraging to know that we are falling apart at the seams. But we're constantly listening to it. We're putting that into our mind all the time. What kind of music do you listen to? What else are you listening to every day of your life? All the things that we listen to and all the things that we plant inside of us are the seeds that are going to grow. All of this affects the way that you respond. 
And if you're listening to the things that are more worldly driven than godly driven, you will not listen for the truth of God's Word when anger strikes. When anger comes and something happens that is about to drive you crazy, you are going to be listening to the things that are driving you every day of your life. And if you are not planting God's Word into your life, you have nothing to listen to. You follow what I'm saying? That's why James said this. He said that I want to hide your Word in my heart. What do we do with seeds when we plant them? We hide them in the ground. So you plant the seed of God's Word into your heart so that it can produce. Proverbs 9 verse number 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom is shown in your life whenever you stop and listen to what God is trying to tell you. Instead of just flapping your tongue and running your mouth, stop and listen first. That's why James says, Listen a little bit more. Frederick uh, Buchner, he's a, uh, he was a preacher, an old-time preacher. Uh, I don't know how old he actually is, but this is something that he said, and I thought it was so good, and I want to just read it to you from one of his books. Out of all the seven deadly sins, anger has got to be the most fun. Listen. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of both the pain that you have been given and the pain that you are going to give back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So, listen more. The second part, he says, talk less. There's an old saying that says you should listen twice as much as you talk. That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. There's a, there's a lot of truth to that. Ask God to, to set a guard over your tongue. You know, we always, we always say, God, guard our home tonight. At our house, we, we have a saying, God, plant a hedge around our home, a hedge of protection around us tonight as we sleep. And we ask those things. God, set angels around us. Why don't you ask God to tell, tell an angel to, to hold your tongue? Angel, God, send an angel to, with, with a flaming sword to cut my tongue out. <laughs> I won't pray that. I, I mean, I'm just saying, my grandma always used to tell me, Joey Wayne, you'd be better off if your tongue was split and your leg was run through it. I don't know how that would happen, but that's what grandma said. She always told us that lots of times we talk way too much. We have to be careful and thoughtful about what we say, especially when you're angry. Anticipate the problem areas whenever you know you're going to face trials and try to avoid them when you can. Remember your past. Learn from your mistakes. Learn to attack problems and not attack people. The Bible tells us to be angry and not to sin in Ephesians chapter 4. Name calling doesn't belong in a, members, in a, in a, a believer's household. Calling another person stupid or treating them disrespectfully should not be a part of our lifestyle. Proverbs 29.11 says, Fool, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. A fool is going to give full vent, and your mouth is that vent, and you're going to let it all out. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, The fastest horse cannot, cannot catch a word spoken in anger. The fastest horse cannot catch a word spoken in anger. I need a volunteer 
Volunteer. You coming? Volunteer. All right. I want you to I want you to walk right over to your mom and I want you to open this up. Okay? Do you know what it's going to do? What? <laughs> She's excited about it. Are you ready? You're gonna go do it? Are you seriously gonna do it to her? All right, go. Run, run, hurry, hurry, run, hurry up. Hey, it's just water. Hey, but, all right, bring me that back. Justin got up and left town. Hey, but why, hey, why are you so nervous about that, though? Because she knows that if I hadn't filled this bottle full of water, that was fixing to be a serious mess, wasn't it? It was going to be a mess. That's why Justin flew out of there. And probably most of the time, whenever Georgia loses it at home, that's why Justin ends up at my house. I'm just kidding. That don't happen. I'm just messing. But we know, we know, we know that our anger and the way that we spew affects those around us. It does. It's not just us. It's not just like that woman says, my anger's okay. I can be mad and say what I want to and it doesn't affect anybody else. Yes, it does. Just as well as that Sprite would have spewed all over everyone around because it can't be contained once it's spewing everywhere. Right? It just can't happen. So guys, what I'm trying to tell you is that you, you have to do this do this in stages, the way that James is trying to tell us. He is saying that we need to be quick to listen. Not listening to everything that's going on around us, because we know that everything that's going on around us is horrible stuff. And it's going to make us mad. It's going to make us angry. But he also said, slow, slow yourself down and don't talk nearly as much as you think you should talk. Because when you talk and you say things out of anger, you do really spew it out all over everybody else. Lastly, James says, chill out. Be slow to become angry. James is not saying that we should not become angry. That's not what he says. He's simply saying that you should not become angry so quickly over every little thing that happens to you. And a lot of us are very guilty of this. We just blow up. And you know what we do? Husbands, I want you guys to listen to me real quickly, okay? I want you to listen to me. And it's not the fact that it don't happen to women. It's just that I've never lived in a woman's body, all right? God made me a guy, and you can't change that God made you a guy. I don't care what the doctors tell you. And ladies, you can't become a man. I don't care what the doctors tell you, okay? But because I'm a man, and I know how I react, when I get mad, I think, sometimes that it's just a little easier to talk to my wife any way that I want to because she's my wife. You know, whenever I, whenever I was dating her, I used, I've, I've actually noticed this in my own life. Whenever I was dating her, there's no way I would have said some of those things because I, I was trying to get her. But then after I married her, all of a sudden, maybe felt like, well, I mean, I got a license to do this. You, God has never given you a license to be an idiot. Never. Never. He's never given you that license. And I think a lot of times the, way, the reason we treat our wives and women, our husbands, the way that we do is because we just become too comfortable around them. And we don't think that they really are gifts that God has given us to borrow for a little while. I came to my senses 
quite a few years back. And I, and I hope my wife can vouch for this. Every day that I wake up, part of my job as a husband is to make sure that she is satisfied and she's happy just because I love her. Not because of what I give her, but because of the way I treat her. And that just changes. It changes who you are. Because there was something that happened in my life that made me realize that I have to give my wife back to God one day. And I want my wife to be in better shape when I give her back than when I got her. We just feel like we have the ability to just treat each other any way that we want to. And I, I just feel like that's, that's wrong. James didn't tell us not to get angry. He told us to slow down. Why are you getting angry? Is what you're getting angry over really worth saying what you're about to say? Is it really worth doing what you're about to do? We're all going to become angry. It's human nature. But did you know that, did you know that anger is something that you can control? Did you know that? Let me just prove it to you. How many of you, and not, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been in a heated argument at home and I mean, y'all are getting after it, using words that are colorful, uh, stuff that you probably would never say if, if the doors were opened and the church was standing outside your house. And all of a sudden, the phone rings. You're like, hey, how are you doing? Yes, I, we're great. Things are going great. Ain't they, honey? Yes, it's great. Yeah, we'll be at church tomorrow. Sure will. Thank you for calling, honey. And then you push resume and instantly you're able to pick right back up where you left off you know why you're able to do that because you can control the way you're acting god didn't give you the license to be an idiot he never did too many times we do what we do because we feel so comfortable where we're at but if you would really understand what you are doing to those who are around you you would stop acting the way that you're acting. You see, guys, we, we, have this, we have this tendency to just say that, well, I can't help it. I just can't help it. Notice the progression. James says, if we are quick to hear, we will be slow to speak. But if we are slow to hear, we will, without a doubt, quickly speak. You understand? So if I'm quick to hear, I'll be slow to speak because I'm taking my time to listen and I'm not talking. But if I don't take the time to listen, I'm just going to go ahead and start talking. And so quick speaking leads to quick anger. And the angrier we get, the faster we speak and the less we hear. It all works. It's all right there. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior. It's better for you to be patient than a warrior. One with self-control. It's better to be a person with self-control than one who is capable of taking a whole city. Maybe we really don't believe this proverb. Maybe we don't think that it's really what it means. I mean, which would you rather be, a patient man or a warrior? We've been led to believe that, well, patient men, all they do is take out the garbage and change diapers. That's what patient people do, right? Right. Well, well, we, we, the warrior, it seems like, in a world, whether it be in a, in a man's world or a woman's world, that warrior person is the one who's being honored nowadays. They're the ones that's being lifted up. It's not the lowly, humble person. Solomon says that it's better for you to be self-controlled than mighty enough to take on an entire city. It's better for you to control who you are 
than to go out there and to destroy it. In the Christian circles, we say this all the time. Man, we can take this city for Christ. We can take this city. And then we, here we are, guys, I'm preaching to the men. All right? I'm preaching to you because I'm not a woman. But we say, you know, I can take this job. I can take this city. I can take this whatever because I'm strong enough to do it. I'm man enough to do it. I'm mighty enough to do it. But I lost my wife. I can take this job. I can take this city. I can take this whatever. But my kids don't follow Jesus anymore. Totally worth it. Totally worth it, isn't it? No, it's not. That's why you're going to find me as your pastor. My kids and my wife, my family is going to come before any one of you. Because I can sit here and try to preach to you, read the Bible to you, do anything that I can to be with you all the time and neglect my family, and I have not done what God called me to do first. It's not worth conquering cities and losing the things that are most important. It's not worth it. You see, I think James knew exactly what he was saying here because he comes down to verse number 20. It says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You cannot produce the character God wants from you if you allow anger to control your life. Your anger does not only affect you, it affects everybody else around you. Just like the Sprite bottle cleared out the whole row. Right? You understand that? Did you ever know a person who was angry all the time? They get up angry, they shower angry, they eat breakfast angry, they go to work angry, they come home angry, they watch TV angry, they go to bed angry. When they're happy, when they're happy that makes them angry. You know, nothing ever pleases a person like that. They're just all the time upset. Anger leads to jealousy, harsh words. It even leads to murder. That sort of anger can never produce a life that's pleasing to God. That sort of anger only destroys and it never builds up. It's something that always happens. James says all of this simply to come down to the very end of what he wants to say. In verse 21, he said, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Get rid of evil because... It, it, it's, not, it's not good, but he said, accept the word that is planted in you. Accept that. James is doing nothing but going right back to the beginning of what he was saying. Quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Listen to the word that has been planted inside of you. David put it this way, I have hidden that word in my heart. Have you hidden that word in your heart? Do not just listen to the Word, but James says, do what it says. James covers all the bases. The people that he was writing to are just like people today. There are so many people who like to come to church on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We like to listen to a good sermon, and no sooner than we have left the worship service, we walk out of here and you know nothing about what has been said, nothing about what has been done, because it goes in one ear and right out the other. There's nothing that ever stops and catches those words and plants them into your heart. Do you ever leave here on church? and you say, that's a nugget that I want to hold on to for this week. And that's why I have a pen and I write it down on a piece of paper because if you don't write it down, the devil's going to snatch it away from you. And so you, you don't care. You just come because it's your, it's your obligation. It's your duty to be in church. But you never leave with anything. Catch those nuggets that God's trying to give you from a simple old preacher boy. Who just wants to throw them out there? And you hang on to that all week. And as you marinate on it and, and, and think about it and pray about it through the week, it becomes hidden in your heart. And when anger comes, all of a sudden you're able to go back to that seed and it's starting to grow in your life and say, I remember that and I can control this situation. In closing, as our, as our musicians come, James said that this person 
that comes in and goes out is like a person that looks at themselves in the mirror. But what does a mirror do? I really want you to think about that. Any of you that you're here at church this morning, maybe, maybe you didn't look in the mirror before you came to church. I don't know. Most of you look, you look good. I mean, so you, you had to have looked in a mirror. Something happened. So you walked up to that mirror, and what happens in the morning is that when we look into that mirror, the mirror shows us what's wrong, doesn't it? We always go to the mirror. We want to get something out of our eye. We want to watch ourselves brush our teeth. We comb our hair. We do all this stuff. We go to the mirror because the mirror is helping to show us what is wrong. So whenever we get to this point and we think about the mirror that James is talking about, he says these people, they just come in, they hear the Word, and it doesn't mean anything to them. They come in and go out just like they came in. They look into the mirror, they see what's wrong, but they just don't pay it any mind. They don't pay any attention to it. You see, guys, the law of God is the mirror that we look into. It's His law, and we look into that mirror. We call it the Ten Commandments. And whenever you look into the Ten Commandments, it is nothing more than a mirror that reflects back to you what is wrong with your life. That is the only reason that God gave us the law. He did not give you the law so that you could be saved. He gave you the law so that you could see that you need to be saved. Okay? The law is the mirror. Your sin is the problem. Your sin is the jacked up hair. And Jesus is the comb. You understand? So God gives us the law and He looks at it. And I want you to just, just think for a moment that if you look into the mirror and you see something wrong, what do you try to do? Hopefully you try to fix it. So would all of you, would you think for just a moment, I really want, just, just humor me just for a few minutes, okay? If you really think about if you are a good person or not, what would your answer be? Most of the time, whenever I would ask somebody, hey, do you feel like you're a good person? they say, yeah, I'm a good person. I want you to just answer a few questions. No, no playing, no talking. I want you to answer these questions in your mind. Have you ever lied? I have. Well, that calls you, that, that makes, makes you a, a liar. Well, have you ever stolen anything? Well, yeah, I have. That makes you a thief. You know, Jesus said that if you look upon a woman with lust to a man, or if a woman looks on a man with lust, if you look on someone else with lust, you might as well commit adultery. You ever looked with lust? Yeah, I have. I've asked people this, and they say, all the time, man. I say, well, have you ever murdered anybody? Well, no. No, I've never murdered anybody. I say, well, okay. You go over to John, 1 John 3, 15, and John wrote a few little words in there that says that if you have ever hated a person, you have committed murder. All of a sudden, people say, whoa, whoa. You know basically what questions like this do? Questions like this, Basically, open up the door to the airplane while the airplane is flying at 30,000 feet and grabs you by the belt loop and just hangs you over it. And it scares you half to death. Because when you really think what the law shows you, the law shows you that this is a way that we're supposed to live. And if the law shows us how we're supposed to live, there has to be someone that enforces that law. The person that enforces that law must be an honest, honorable, just judge and his name is God Almighty 
So if you stood before God answering the questions that I've just asked you, would you be guilty or innocent? If you are guilty, how does that make you feel? If He is a good judge, if He is honorable, if He is just, He must do something with someone who breaks the law. And if He is going to do something with the person that has broken the law, does He send them to heaven where they are rewarded or to hell where they are punished? A good, honest, honorable judge cannot say that it's okay. He can't do it. There has to be someone who pays the debt that you now owe. So right now, you're hung out, out of the airplane, and you're scared to death because if He lets you go, you're gone. Because with the law, we're all guilty when we stand before God. Every one of us. That's the mirror that we're looking into. That's James saying, here's the mirror that you look into. And for you to look into this mirror and see that you have a problem and to walk away without any concern, this is dangerous. He actually says, if you go down into verses 22, 23, 24, he said, these are the people who are deceived. And for you to look into the mirror of God's law and to think that you have broken all these laws and that you are still going to go to heaven, you, my friend, are deceived. And the only way it can change is if it concerns you. Does it concern you when you look into the mirror? If it concerns you, there's good news. The good news is that Jesus walked into that courtroom that day and He said, Judge, I'll pay the fine. I will pay the fine. And you know what the judge does? Okay, I just need this amount. I need this, this debt paid. I don't care how it's paid. This is what is owed because the law has been broken. When this debt is paid, I will set them free. Jesus says, whatever the cost, I'll pay it. And it had to be paid with blood, with death. And Jesus said, I'll die. I'll do it. You know what Jesus became? Jesus became the parachute that you put on in the airplane. And the only way that you can make sure that that, or the, the only way that a parachute is going to work is that you have to trust that it's going to keep you from hitting the ground. Right? It's trust. It's not a prayer that you prayed with a preacher. It's not a church that you joined. It's not once upon a time at VBS. It's right now, today, is your trust in Jesus Christ. Is your trust in Jesus Christ? Only you can answer that question. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, that means that you have had to repent of your sins and you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior and you're not worried about doing this or that. You can't sing loud enough. You can't worship enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't have your name on enough rolls. You can't give enough money. You can't do all these things enough and it be enough. All you can do is trust Jesus. And when you put your trust in Him, you let Him catch you like a parachute would catch the person that jumped out of an airplane. Friends, what you need to understand is, is that the plane is going down the plane's going down and if you don't have on the parachute you will burn when it strikes the side of that mountain today you need to make a choice you're going to look in the mirror 
and be concerned about what's happening? Are you going to be the person that's deceived that James talks about and walk away from here forgetting what you look like? It's up to you. But I hope today you'll choose to trust Jesus because He, my friend, can change your life. I'm gonna, I was going to stop there, but I can't. Hold on. There are a lot of you who have been fooled into thinking that whenever you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you was going to have a happy-go-lucky life from then on out, that it was just going to get everything better and, and that you were going to be fine and that everything was just going to be hunky-dory, peaches and cream, smell like roses. Everything's going to be great. That is a false gospel if there's ever been a gospel preached. It's false. Jesus never said that our way would be easy. He never said that it would be happy. And all you have to do is ask a seasoned Christian to know that it's tough being a Christian sometimes. And if you're looking for a way out just so you can get bailed out, if you're looking for a happy life, this altar isn't the place for you to come this morning. But if you're looking for eternal salvation, something that's going to change your eternity, okay? Eternity. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about getting you out of a jam right now. I'm talking about something that changes your eternal address. Trusting in Jesus is the only way. You have to trust Him every day of your life. Okay? Every day. So I'm going to pray for you. And if you've not trusted Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Right now. Okay? Right now. Let's pray. Father, today, I want to thank You for the way that You've led us. I know, God, without a doubt, that You're moving and that You're working and that You're trying to change people's lives through the foolishness of preaching. I believe that, without a doubt. You said it in Your Word, that that's what You do, and I'm convinced of it. So, I'm asking You right now that You would work in their life and that You would draw people to this altar that need to be drawn even if they're right there in their seat, if that seat becomes the altar that they kneel at and beg you and cry out to you, Lord, so be it. Whatever it needs to be, let it be so that they can place their trust in you today. Help them to realize that you did become our friend. You became our friend. You chose to do this so that our debt could be paid. And I'm so thankful that you did that. I want my trust to be in you and nothing and no one else. So lead us, guide us, direct us in the way that it needs to be today so that someone's life can be changed forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, church.
At times I thought that you were all I had You were my friend You believed in me You went the extra mile To show And you held out your hands As they drove the nails in you No, you could have walked away And turned your back on all my sins For me, you gave your life. You chose to be my friend. And often like a child, so full of fear, you took me by your side and held me near. You were faith grew weak and strength seemed gone you took me by the hand and led me on you were my friend you believed in me you went the extra show your love was true and you held out your hands as they drove the nails in you though you could have walked away turned your back on all for me you gave your life you chose to be my friend though you could have walked away and turned your back on all my sins for me, you gave your life. You chose to be my
you did choose to be our friend you chose to love us you chose to go to that cross so that we wouldn't have to you chose to die so that we could live and lord i pray today that every one of us let me just speak for the saved those that have accepted christ those that know what the word saved what salvation means that even when they look into the mirror of your law it concerns them and it would shake them to the core to know that if it weren't for the parachute or the safety harness of Jesus Christ, they would be headed to a devil's hell. But because they've put their trust in you, they're on their way to heaven. And that trust, it can't just be a one-time thing. It's got to be every day of our life. We have to trust in Jesus. So Father, I pray that the saved that they would continue to look into the mirror and that they would not forget where they come from. And when they don't forget where they come from, that means that they will share it with other people who don't know. But Father, for those that don't know You as their Lord and Savior, they've never put their trust in You. If they look into that mirror and it doesn't concern them, Lord, I pray for the opportunity of conviction that it would come and that it would open their eyes to the truth of the Word. And help them to see that without placing their trust in you, they will spend eternity in a place called hell. It's spoken of more times in the Bible than heaven. It's real. And I'd hate for them to find out the truth of that. Thank you for conviction, Lord, for the way that you work. In Jesus' name, amen.